give you ten things this afternoon. Ten points. Are you ready? You're going to strap on your seatbelts. If you'll listen quick, we'll talk quick, okay? I'm going to give you ten points. Um, how we should respond. Actually, I'll probably give you nine of them. Uh, we'll do nine, I guess. That'll save us a few minutes. Uh, how to respond to those that have wronged us. Uh, if you live very long in life, you're going to have somebody treat you wrong. And uh, as God's people, how should we respond to this? We want to. We want to be coming. We want to be becoming more and more like Christ in our daily life. We want to have a testimony. Um, and any time the Bible gives us instruction about our actions, our attitude towards things. I think it does us well to sit up and to take notice of it and to to seek to emulate these things in our life. How to respond to those who wrong us. Um, Matthew chapter 5, let's look down, if you will, in verse number 44. In fact, we're going to start in verse 43. We'll read down a little bit. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Father, once again we come to you. We ask that you'll bless the teaching of your word. Guide and direct our steps in this area. Lord, we are certainly prone in our flesh, in our human nature, to respond inappropriately when people wrong us. May we learn to have the Christian grace that is so vividly taught here in treating others uh, the right way, the biblical way, when they do us wrong. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's four things here I think that are very critical to begin with, and then we're going to look at some other passages of Scripture. That uh, In the Sermon on the Mount, that the Lord Jesus is teaching His disciples, and the first thing He tells them is found in verse number 44. He says, but I say unto you, so he's, he's contrasting this to what had been heard. He said, you've heard that it hath been said. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, is teaching things that these people, even if they had considered them, they certainly were not the common way of thinking of things. And he's teaching them things that uh, are unusual. He's teaching them things that are contrary to the natural man. And he tells them in verse 44, he says, But I say unto you, instead of loving your friends and hating your enemies, he says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Uh, somebody does something wrong for you, wrong to you, uh, Jesus says we're to love them. Uh, you, don't, you don't make yourself a doormat. You don't allow them to just continually abuse you. But you don't, you don't treat them with the idea, same idea of just being an enemy or striking back at them. In fact, it's interesting because 
uh, when his disciples were talking about it, uh, and Jesus was talking about forgiveness, um, uh, one of his disciples, uh, I think it was Peter, said, or, uh, said uh, uh, should we forgive seven times? And Jesus told him what? It was 70 times what? Seven. And even then it wasn't just to say 490 times and then on the 491st time you don't forgive them. What he's trying to get at is you forgive the way that God the Father has given has forgiven us. How many times does God forgive us for our sin? I know for our salvation it's forgiven once for all, but for our relationship with Him, our walk with Him, we're to come to Him, we're to confess our sin, and He forgives us of our sin. How often does He do that? Does He stop forgiving us on the 491st time and allow our relationship with Him to just be broken? He does it how many times? Every time. Every time. And so when people treat us wrong and they ask for forgiveness, they, they come to you and say, boy, I messed up and, and, um, and uh, won't you forgive me? We're to forgive them. We're to love them, in fact. And if they do the same thing again, guess what? We forgive them again. Now, how many of you ever heard the statement, or maybe you've made the statement, um, that's two strikes, three strikes, you're out, that's it. I'll forgive you once, I'll forgive you twice, third time, it's on you. Uh, that's not Christ-like, nor is it biblical. Uh, I don't care how many times someone trespasses against you, we're to be forgiving of them every single time. He tells them, first of all, to love their enemies. Notice here, he says, bless them that curse you. That's a difficult thing to do. It goes against nature. Uh, I've, I've told my kids a number of times when they've come home and they've had an argument with uh, maybe some of their schoolmates or something along that line. Maybe somebody was bullying them a little bit. Uh, if they were here today, they would tell you. I'd just say, what do I tell you to do? And they would tell you. Uh, I would tell them to buy, buy the kid a card and a candy bar. Tell them how much you're their friend and give them a candy bar. That's blessing them even though they have done wrong to you. And the quickest way to, to get rid of an enemy is to make them your friend. It really is. Now, I understand that there are some cases that they are not going to respond to that. But we are still obligated to reach out and to, and to offer that to them. I, uh, in the years I was down in Florida, there was uh, some situations where some very vicious attacks came to uh, my family and I. Uh, sometimes from people that we very deeply loved and cared about. And it was, it was tempting, it was very tempting to strike back and to go, go and try to get them back for what they did to you. I remember one fellow that just uh, wrote a scathing letter and published it all over the Internet uh, regarding myself and, and our, my family. And it was somebody that we loved and that we cared for. It was somebody that we had just done something uh, sacrificially for their family. Our family did to try to be a help and a blessing to them. And he wrote this letter on a Wednesday night after church. I came home and it, was, it literally went all over the world. And I had people from Japan calling me. I had people from Europe. I had people from South America calling me the next day saying, Pastor, what's going on? And, I mean, literally this man just sent this letter out everywhere. I showed up to work the next morning on Thursday morning, and my staff guys are standing there in the parking lot in a huddle, and they're waiting for me to walk up, and they said, they said Pastor, we're, we're going over to his house. And I said, no, you're not. 
stop the right response. They said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, run in there and grab a box of tracks and let's go out and knock some doors. Because what it is, it wasn't this fellow that was doing it. It was Satan trying to stop the work of the Lord. And it would have been easy for me to get sidetracked and our men to get sidetracked and bottled up in this thing of vengeance or retaliation. And Satan would have laughed his head off as the work of the Lord came to a screeching halt. It's almost like Christ knew what he was talking about when he was sharing with his disciples and those that were there how to treat those that mistreated them. He says, bless them that curse you. Do good for them that hate you. Number three, do good for, to them that hate you. That's hard to do. It goes against our flesh. It goes against our sinful nature. And yet it is so necessary to be Christ-like. And then he says this, pray for them. <laughs> you ever try to pray for somebody that abused you and hurt you that bad? Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You know, the idea of persecution means that they, it's a continuous thing. They just continually poke and, and try to hit the nerve. Yeah, it says here that they've despitefully used you, but they didn't just stop there. They're continuing to do it. They're persecuting you. Jesus said, pray for them. Pray for them. If we're to be Christ-like, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, these are things that I think ought to be uh, followed after uh, wholeheartedly. I'm reminded of Stephen, the deacon that was preaching, and the people stoned him to death. They rushed upon him, began to stop their ears, and they stoned him. And the Bible tells us that when Stephen was there, and he looked up into heaven and he prayed for them, didn't he? He asked the Lord not to lay it on their account, not to, not to hold it against them. I tell you, that's a Christ-like spirit. We're living in a world again, and I, I know we've said this in the 11 o'clock hour, but our world needs to see God in us. If there is no difference in our attitude, if there is no difference in our conduct, if there is no difference in the way we respond to things that are wrong, then the world, then how in the world is, how in the world are they ever going to see God in us? Let's look in Ephesians chapter 4 for a moment. Ephesians chapter number 4. When I was a youth pastor, every once in a while, the young people, teenagers, you know how teenagers can get, they, they pick at each other. And a lot of it's done in jest. In fact, uh, for teenagers, a lot of times that's the, way, that's the way they show they care about each other. They insult one another, you know, and that's, uh, especially if it's a guy insulting a girl or vice versa, that usually means they like the other one or something, you know, it's... Like when you were a kid and you pulled the girl's pigtail, fellas, because you liked her and you were being a pest to her. You thought for some reason that if you were mean to her, she'd like you more. Uh, and teenagers do that. By the way, human nature does that. And there are times that they would be mean to each other, say some mean things, or say hurtful things sometimes. 
And I don't know how many times in the, in the course of being a youth pastor we would stop the van or I would, I would uh, stop the conversation and we would quote this verse, Ephesians chapter number 4. Look with me in verse number 32. The Bible says this, And be ye, what's the next word here? Kind one to another. What's the next word? Tender-hearted. What's the next word? Forgiving one another. And even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We are to forgive, be tender-hearted and kind the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. How do we treat somebody that's done us wrong? I am not a fan of social media. I am not. We have social media here at the church. It helps us correspond with each other. I am not a big fan of social media. I don't like when people vent and post things that are their pet peeves or uh, critical of one another, and they put it out there for all the world to see. There are things that you will say at a keyboard and a screen that you would never say to the person's face, and it can hurt them. And it can hurt them very deeply in some cases. We need to learn to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. Generally, when we do this, it's because we're trying to make ourselves look better than they are. When the truth of the matter is, we need to be forgiving. We need to do the way that Christ does for us and forgive the same way that the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. Turn with me to Colossians now, chapter 3. Colossians chapter number 3. So we're to love our enemies, we're to bless them that curse us, we're to do good to them that hate us, we're to pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us. We're to be kind one to another, we're to be tender-hearted, we're to be forgiving one another. Notice in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read a rather lengthy portion of this chapter. If you then be risen with Christ. How many of you here today are risen with Christ? If you're saved, you ought to be. All right. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So where's our, where's our focus supposed to be? On God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Where's our affection? Where should our affection be? On God. For ye are what? Dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Dr. Bobby Robertson, who uh, is home with the Lord now, but uh, used to pastor the Gospel Light Baptist Church in Walkertown, North Carolina, years ago had Dr. Lester Roloff come and preach for him. They were dear friends. And he would have Brother Roloff come preach quite often there at his church. One night as he was introducing Brother Roloff, he was jesting as he would with a close friend. But in front of this congregation of people, he said, Come on up here, you old reprobate, and preach for us. And Brother Roloff came up and he preached. Brother Bobby sat down and from his testimony, he said, God smote my heart. The next day, they were driving to the airport. He was taking Brother Roloff back to the airport. And he said, Brother Roloff, I must apologize to you. He said, you are one of my dearest friends in the ministry. And he said, if I offended you, it was not my intention. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And Brother Roloff looked at him and he said, Brother Bobby, if you offended me, that would not have been your problem. <clears throat> that would have been mine. Because I am dead. 
And you can't hurt a dead man. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He says, you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall He also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. So he talks here about our old nature. In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these. This is what we're to put off, alright? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of our mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of, here's the list, mercies, mercy is not giving to somebody what is due them by way of vengeance, by way of punishment, by way of retribution. We have mercy on them. We're to put these on, these bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against uh, uh, any, even as Christ forgave you, also do ye. so also do ye. Above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Where's the mouthful there? How do we treat those that have wronged us? With mercy, with long-suffering, with forgiveness, with charity. We're to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. Anybody ever get you so seething mad your blood begins to boil, your face turns red, your blood pressure goes sky high? You're biting your tongue as hard as you can to keep from saying something you know you shouldn't? There's not a whole lot of peace of God during that moment. That's the flesh raising itself up again. Look in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 165. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, Is that what your Bible says? Very little shall offend them. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? Isn't that amazing? That's what my Bible says too. Nothing, nothing shall offend them. Why? Because I'm crucified with Christ. My pride, my ego, 
It's crucified with Christ. Why am I seeking glory? Why do I need to have a prideful spirit? Why do I need to have people look at me and I feel good about how they look at me? I'm not here to represent Greg Boer. I'm here to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And so are you. When men look at your life, they're not looking at you. They're looking at Christ in you. They're looking at His reflection. They're looking at the work He's done in your life. The character of your life is not your character. It's the character of God that has worked in your heart. In fact, Matthew put it this way when he talked about the similitudes. He says that men may see your good works and glorify you. No. That men may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. We don't have an ego. We don't have pride. We don't get our feelings hurt. Because we're here simply to point men to the Lord Jesus Christ. People misuse us. They persecute us. Paul said, I count it all joy. He says, to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. He said, therefore, will I rather glory in my suffering, in the tribulations. Why? Because when I am weak, then He is strong. Pointing men to the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be the aim of our life. And when we begin to take it upon ourselves to retaliate, to try to mistreat back or to seek vengeance upon, when we get to the place where our ego is hurt, our feelings are hurt, then we are focused more on us getting glory than the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Acts chapter number 7. <clears throat> the story of Stephen, I want you to see what is said here of him. Verse number 54, Acts chapter 7. you get time this afternoon, you ought to read the message that he preaches. He doesn't hold back. <laughs> he tells it like it is. But after they are, as he's preaching this message in verse number 54, the Bible says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. That kind of sounds like some of the things going on in the world today, doesn't it? People don't want to hear. They're not listening. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. You may say, Pastor... They're doing wrong, and they shouldn't be doing this. Well, I don't know that any of us were in the situation Stephen was in. They were in the process of murdering him, killing him. And he said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. He did it with a loud voice. Isn't that interesting? I don't think he did it with a loud voice because he didn't think God could hear him. 
He did it with a loud voice because he wanted the people to know. He wanted the people to know. Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Luke chapter 23, the greatest example we could ever have. The greatest example we could ever have. The Lord Jesus Christ. If there was ever anyone that was mistreated unjustly, we would have to say it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the truth of the matter is, any other person that is mistreated, there's probably some kind of justice to the mistreatment somewhere along the line. Because we're not perfect. But the Lord Jesus Christ, He was mistreated unjustly because He was perfect. There was no call. There was no reason for Him to be mistreated. There was no call for Him to be uh, beaten. There was no call for Him to be persecuted. There was no call for Him to be crucified. Verse number 33, Luke chapter 23, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We can sit here and give you illustrations of Stephen and uh, lessons from the Apostle Paul. But there is no greater illustration of forgiveness and how to treat those that have wronged us than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Love our enemies. Bless them that curse us. Do good to them that hate us. Pray for them which despitefully use us and persecute us. We're to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving. We're to forbear one another. We're to have great peace and not be offended. We're to be able to say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're living in a time where, to be frank with you, if you're going to live godly, you're going to suffer. The Bible tells us that. Yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Somewhere along the line, somebody's going to mistreat you. Paul said it this way. He wanted to make sure that if we suffer, we suffer for right, not for wrong. But when we suffer, when those trials come, when somebody misuses us, mishandles us, mistreats us, when someone is not as gentle with our egos as they should be, when someone is not as gentle with our feelings as they should be. How should we respond as God's people? I would say it this way. We should respond biblically. Biblically. Far too often we allow our flesh to get the better of us. And we all do. I'm not pointing a finger at any one person and saying you're the problem. Every single one of us, unfortunately, have an old nature. And it wars with our spirit. Our tendency is to get vengeance, to strike back, to get retaliation. I remember as a kid, when somebody would do me wrong, I would say, be careful, because I don't get even. I get ahead. But that was not a biblical response. It was not a biblical response. How do we treat those that mistreat us? 
I hope on Sunday afternoons as we give some of these things that are that are of a practical nature that we will take the notes, we'll, we'll put them into our hearts, we'll engrave them upon our minds, and we will allow the work of God's truth and God's Word to be applied to our hearts and our lives. Because, folks, we're living in a day where this world needs to see God through us. Our conversation, our life, our actions, our attitudes, even something as small as our dress or our countenance may make the difference in somebody's life as we reflect the image of God. So let's strive to do that, shall we? Let's stand together and be dismissed. Father, thank You once again for Your Word. And Lord, a little bit of a, just a practical lesson this afternoon to try to encourage and help us to take the things that You have instructed us with 